Welcome to Appaloosa Radio, where stories come alive. Appaloosa Radio is a service of the Appaloosa Springs Audio Theater. Appaloosa Radio offers dry, weak, stubble and original audio story. Becky Blake was the kind of woman who married for life. Her strong religious faith only solidified her determination. She was married for life with three wonderful sons, and the most perfect husband. They were a family with long connections to the eastern plains of Colorado. The Blakes had come to Gary in 1872, their neighbors, the Parnells, had come a decade earlier, just weeks before the start of the Civil War. Both families were staunchly Unionist and both families still spoke with pride about ancestors who had fought in the war. Both families farmed, primarily winter wheat, but always kept some acreage in pinto beans, a good crop to grow to give the soils a break. Both families were still also deeply committed to their Baptist faith. In 1957, while he still was in the Army, Jeff Blake married Becky Parnell at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. Jeff and Becky had known each other their entire lives, their families attended the Baptist Church. However, it was on the 8th grade school trip to the Denver Zoo that Becky and Jeff became a couple. The school had organized an overnight class trip to Denver, taking the students first to the art museum and then to the zoo. Neither Becky nor Jeff felt any connection to the art, but at the zoo, something magical happened. Before long, they were walking together, sharing popcorn, and enjoying the animals. On the bus trip back to Gary, they sat next to each other, holding hands whenever the chaperones were not looking. Jeff and Becky were engaged at their high school prom. At Fort Sill, they were married a year and a half past their graduation. After his discharge from the Army, 
Jeff returned to Geary and worked with his father for a year on the family's farm. However, farming never scratched his itch. He took a job, instead, 20 miles up the main highway at the state prison. Some years later, I overheard Becky Blake discussing the breakup of her marriage. Becky's friend asked, what really happened? Becky was serious in her response. Something demonic, something evil has entered my life. My faith is being tested by the devil himself, and he is using the switch of a woman to do it. Something demonic, something evil has entered my life. My faith is being tested by the devil himself, and he is using the switch of a woman to do it. Why did I start this endeavor? I am not a writer. Most definitely, I'm not a writer about romance. I never even read those kinds of stories. I am a here and now, give me the facts person. I studied accounting at Colorado State University. I am better with numbers than with personal relationships. I am now retired, but I worked for 35 years at a bank in my hometown, Arvada. I started as a teller, then was the chief teller and eventually a vice president in the bank. However, this is not a story about banks and finance. This story is about one of my tellers. In truth, she was probably the poorest performing I ever supervised. she always worked hard, and given what was happening in her life, I could not let her go. She was a farm girl from Geary, who never really adapted to Denver's intense, urbanized grind. I share her story because she was my friend. I share her story because I know more details than anyone else. I share her story because it deserves to be shared.
In college, I took a course on Colorado's history. Kansas and Colorado were originally one territory. You may remember bloody Kansas the battle between the Jayhawkers and the Bushwhackers over whether the Kansas Territory should enter the Union as either a slave or free state. The Jayhawks, who opposed slavery, were primarily New England anti-slavery immigrants who came to Kansas in the late 1850s specifically to settle it, and thus, prevent it from becoming a slave state. These New Englanders were recruited for their religious piety, and their ability to handle hard work. Once in Kansas, the state New Englanders created hundreds of small agricultural communities, each with its own collection of churches, its own schools, and its own stores. They stayed in one place, worked the owner own family's farm, and produced large broods of children. The truism, planted in Kansas, meant what it said. They were planted, fixed, attached to their own land. Just after the Civil War started, miners found large deposits of both gold and silver in the Rocky Mountains. Many thousands of fly-by-night, get-rich-quick prospectors flooded in. The pious, former, New Englanders did not like the new riffraff. So, they hatched a plan to break the two regions apart. And the new state of Colorado was formed. The New Englanders kept the productive farmlands but gave away the mountain mineral riches. Kansas extended the franchise to women, and outlawed liquor and other vices. Other than a few cow towns like Dodge City, Kansas became a placid, self-sufficient place of farmers. Another change happened in the later 1870s, when many hundreds of Swiss-German Mennonite communities moved whole from Europe to Kansas, creating their own unique, self-sufficient towns. The Mennonites brought a new crop, one that was especially suited to Kansas. So, planting and harvesting dry, winter wheat came to dominate Kansas life. Colorado, on the other hand, became a place of booms and of busts. 
Early Colorado history was a time of the seemingly perpetual mining wars, mining companies battling each other, with guns and dynamite. It also was when a collection of different railroads came habitually into, and out of bankruptcy. Colorado legalized prostitution, gambling, and prize fighting. Brothels and breweries operated everywhere. Denver had a murder a week. Week. Any luxury good that one's heart could desire was readily available, from oysters to opium, from satin to silk to taffeta, silver tea services to gold-studded brooches, and from art to opera. Extravagance. Elegance. Ego. So there you have it. Plain, placid, God-fearing, wheat-growing Kansas. Hedonistic, hectic, hell-raising, honky-tonk, Colorado. The small town of Geary was Colorado only in that it lay west of the border. Otherwise, in every aspect, it was Kansas. Its land was practically flat, and the town lay on a small seasonal river. It depended entirely on growing two crops, winter wheat and dried pinto beans. Geary had a town square, a patch of green among the acres of dry wheat stubble. Around the town square, almost at each corner, was a church. The first Methodist was on the northeast corner and was the largest. The Grace Lutheran, the smallest, occupied the southeast corner. The Baptist Church, Southern Baptist, of course, was on the west side. Just behind it, but still facing the square, was the United Brethren. Squeezed between the Baptist and the Brethren churches was Gary's tiny town hall. A block further down was the Volunteer Fire Department. Gary's main commercial street carried the romantic name of B Street. On it was the Save You More Grocery Store, the W.T. Grant Clothing Store, and Connor's Drugs. Add the four gas stations and the Masonic Lodge, and you have the town. Masonic Lodge building was one of the largest and oldest in the region. It had thick, stone walls, an iron gate, and stained glass windows. Of course, only members could go inside, so no one really knew what went on in there. However, there long had been rumors that the basement of the lodge included a bar which served whiskey and other hard liquors. In 1957, while he still was in the army, Jeff Blake married Becky Purnell. Jeff and Becky were engaged at their high school prom and married a year and a half past their graduation. After his discharge from the army, Jeff returned to Gary, worked for a year on the family's farm, but farming never satisfied him. He took a job, instead, 20 miles up the main highway at the state prison. Being a prison guard suited Jeff. He was a large man who had lettered in high school in both football and wrestling. 
he was never afraid to show a prisoner who was in charge. He was also willing to work inside the walls, physically close to the prisoners without the protections of the locking steel cell barriers. Of course, this was a medium security prison, so none of the really hard cases were assigned to the facility. Still, there was always the possibility of danger. And, Jeff Blake was always ready for it. By 1966, Jeff Blake had been promoted three times. He was now the senior watch sergeant with 20 other guards under his command authority. In that year, the state of Colorado made the decision to permit selected prisoners conjugal visitations by their wives. At Jeff's prison, a special conjugal visitation center was constructed just outside the prison wall. The new visitation center featured two-way mirrored windows that allowed the guards to see all that was going on in the individual visitation rooms without themselves being seen. Hidden microphones also picked up the conversations. The conjugal visitations may have seemed private, but they most certainly were not. But, Jeff Blake, like his father and his grandfather, was a high-ranking noble in the Geary Masonic Lodge. At almost every lodge meeting, he joked with the other Masons that he had things really good. The state pays me, to watch people having sex. By 1969, Jeff and Becky Blake had three sons, Adrian, Andrew, and Aaron. The family still attended the Baptist Church, and family events at both the Parnells and at the Blakes. Jeff and Becky bought a 10-acre parcel of land and then had a house and barn built on it. Their land was on the rise the side of the eastern plains that was beginning the ascent to the Rockies. It had a smattering of pine trees, plenty of rocks, and a small seasonal stream. Jeff had said that the property was a perfect place to grow a stone fruit orchard. However, he was not a farmer, he started some plantings, but never completed the irrigation system. It became an orchard of bare sticks. Building the house cost a lot more than they thought it would. They had to take out a mortgage. Making their mortgage payments literally took half of Jeff's salary. Payments on their new truck took another quarter. Financially, things were tight. Financially, things were tight. There were additional expenses that Becky could not always understand or explain. Jeff viewed himself as a wheeler dealer, buying something low, and then selling it high. He began by buying cattle, but by the time you factored in feed costs, Jeff's cattle investments nearly always lost money. He also bought cars and then promised that he would fix them up. Unfortunately, he almost never did. He speculated on futures that he knew nothing about, cotton, cocoa, rubber, orange juice. The net result was that they were in more debt than they could pay. In 
Even though she had three children still needing a full-time mother, Becky was forced to go to work. She was fortunate. Her mother was available and very willing to provide childcare. She was also lucky because as a teenager, she had been the primary babysitter for Mr. and Mrs. Myers' children. Ron Myers was now the managing director for the County Farm Credit Association. He was more than happy to give his former babysitter a position as his full-time secretary. And the Farm Credit Association's offices were just 10 miles south of Geary. It had worked out well. In July 1973, while at work at the Farm Credit Association, Becky Blake received a phone call that changed her life. Becky's friend and colleague Linda took the call, saying there's a strange call for you. Linda transferred the call to Becky's phone and Becky said, hello. Mrs. Becky Blake. I am Lisa Paternino and I am in love with your stud husband. He loves me too. So, we're going to get married. He is going to divorce you, so he can be all mine. He has such a great body. So warm. So sexy. I just love it when he touches me. When